0: Welcome to the Mellow Mama podcast, where I talk all things conscious living and conscious, respectful parenting with the help of lots of great books, resources, and of course, my own experience as a mom. If you're new here, what's up? I'm Kate, and today we are going to continue my mini book club series on nonviolent communication by Marshall Rosenberg. This book, if you're new in general, like I know I just said, if you're new here, what's up? I'm Kate. But if you're new, I am obsessed with giving people material that they can then move forward with and sort of take personal responsibility for their own life, their own behavior, their own decision-making, especially when it comes to the way they operate in their relationships, mostly with their children. But if you're not new... You'll realize very quickly, and you have realized really quickly how parenting consciously is so much about the parent and how we operate and what we're modeling. What is it? What is the example of life that we're giving to our children? That personal responsibility aspect is so important because we teach what we are in every moment of our day, in every interaction. And so when I recommend a book, It's because I think if you read this book too, you don't need to listen to me really. (laughs) It might be nice. It might be refreshing. You might be like, ah, this is stuff I know, but I need the reminder. I need to get out of my old school conditioned thought patterns that, you know, we just sort of sink back into if we're not in the practice of sharpening our mindset and really taking certain thoughts captive and saying, "Mm mm-mm. Not today. I'm not going to think those thoughts or I'm not going to allow the inner critical parent to creep into the way that I operate or think about myself or view myself or my self-worth. Uh-uh. And I'm definitely not going to let those thoughts or thought patterns affect the way that I interact with the people that I love, which is really where nonviolent communication comes in. So if you are somebody that is listening and is like, wow, that sounded like a whirlwind, The main point of this episode and any of my many book club episodes and really all of the work that I share is for you to move forward with a real tool set to be equipped and empowered on an individual level. It doesn't matter what anybody else in your life is doing or thinking about what you're doing or learning, but for you to move forward so confidently, knowing that, Everything that you do in your life, especially as it pertains to the way that you want to raise your children if you're a parent or hoping to be a parent one day, is a decision that you get to make and be empowered in the way you make it. You know why you do what you do. You know why you think what you think and you know why you feel what you feel. This is the epitome of conscious living. This is the goal that I have for everyone listening. It's the goal that I have for myself, for my family, for my children, especially. I want them to move forward with that beautiful foundation of awareness. I think that it's the key to being present, and I think that that's the key to having a really peaceful, fulfilling, beautiful life experience. So the tool set that we'll be expanding on again today, and if you haven't again listened to the first episode of this series, please go check that out. In fact. Listen to A New Earth, the Eckhart Tolle series before that, if you haven't listened to those. I just think they blend so beautifully and I refer to the other episodes in this Nonviolent Communication mini book club series. So listen to those. But today's tool set that I'm equipping you with is nonviolent communication. How do we communicate in a way that breeds connection? On the On the cover of the book, he says, Find common ground with anyone, anywhere, anytime, both personally and professionally. So often in marriage or any like any type of dynamic, like he said there, personally or professionally, find common ground with anybody, we have this expectation that it should just go smoothly all the time. And so often we're like, oh, that... <laughs> that did not meet my expectation or like that person needs to get with the program or like they, we are not on the same page. All right. Like, and I guess I shouldn't say so often, but it happens where we're just, I think, especially more, more often in marriage than like impersonal interactions. But in a marriage dynamic, we have these expectations that our, our partner should just be equipped like, Shouldn't they just know how to communicate with me? Shouldn't they know how to articulate their feelings? Or shouldn't they just know how to do X Z, insert expectation here? And one of my favorite quotes is that expectations are premeditated resentments. Let that sink in for a second. <laughs> and the reason that they are is because we have to reflect on what has been modeled, what has been the example. What does communication normally look like for people, for families, for couples? Would we consider it 99% of the time nonviolent communication? Or are everyday interactions riddled with passive aggression, shame, subtle criticism, judgment, evaluations, diagnosis? I mean, what? what would you say if you're listening along, driving in the car or something? I bet you're with me. Like, I'd say the average communication that I hear or that I see, even even acted out in television series and films, is violent communication. It's so common. So we can't possibly have this expectation for our our family dynamic to just, like, We got it. Got it covered. We're just nice people. So this is going to happen for us. (laughs) Unfortunately, that is just not the system that we have been raised in, most of us, um, educated in, and it's just something we haven't seen. It's foreign. So it's important for us to take a step after we've got that big picture understanding, like, oh, I can do things differently. Like there's a different option. That's step one. But then step two is unlearning, unraveling like our existing patterns, our existing conditioning and saying, okay, that doesn't serve me or my family right there. Like that's not helping anybody. <laughs> and that's definitely not what I want to model and see continued to be spread moving forward in my children and their marriages and their lives. Like I want them to have this like amazing foundation where it will make sense for there to be an expectation. I hope that my children marry people that have had this incredible example of people working really hard (laughs) to unlearn these old patterns and do things differently. I hope that would be amazing. And then it will make sense if they're like, well, like in the back of their mind and their subconscious mind, maybe they will have the expectation, God willing, that their partner should communicate in this way. Um, But for the average person today, that expectation doesn't make sense, but it's exciting to give like that hopeful promise for the future through our work and effort that we're doing now so i already mentioned some of the ways that we communicate in a nonviolent or in a violent way and it brings me to chapter three so let's go ahead and dive in i know it's a long introduction but i always like to give context to why this is important work and why all the things that I'm going to touch on are just super relevant to the experience that we have as parents and the legacy that we leave our children in terms of the way they can move forward in their own relationships and have, have these amazing skill sets that, unfortunately, so many of us are, are just learning now, myself included. Chapter 3 is called Observing Without Evaluating. There's a quote here. Observe, all capital letters, two exclamation points. There are few things as important, as religious as that. Frederick Buchner, a minister. How true is that too? If you are a conscious parent and you're someone that's followed me for a long time, you know how often I love to refer to Magda Gerber's advice. She's the woman that coined RIE, Resources for Infant Educators. It's very commonly today referred to as like respectful parenting. I love her work so much, and. She and the pediatrician Emmy Pickler that she worked with so closely talk so often about observation, just observing, slowing down, getting super curious about the world of your child. And I, I, I can't help but, like, notice all of the beautiful connections between raising our children and sort of re-raising ourselves reparenting ourselves and also interacting with other people in our lives with the amount of love and respect and connection and curiosity this open observation with unconditional love and like no expectations to every person that we interact with it's hard because for some reason I'll speak for myself at least when I'm with adult people, I do just like have these expectations, like they should just get it, they should just understand, or like I need to evaluate, and this is one of my favorite chapters because it's one of those things that you can listen to this episode, and throughout the week until the next episode, observe yourself, how often am I doing this, like how does this show up in me, and I wanted to say that too before we continue that. My favorite, my favorite skill that I have been honing, I guess, working on, growing into, is just listening, um, listening for the needs and unmet needs in others, listening for their requests, listening for what it is that's going on for them even if it is so hard, even if what's being presented to me feels like a blatant criticism, or they are using shame, they are using violent communication, I can be empowered to not let it impact me, not let it affect my self-esteem, my state, my emotional state. It doesn't take me out of the present. I'm able to listen in a deeper way get even more like intimately connected to whoever's in front of me especially in the midst of conflict what a powerful skill to have where we're sort of like unshaken and unfazed like okay I okay you're using some crazy stuff here you're using some crazy tactics you got some you're using some violent communication okay, but what are we, what am I really hearing, what are you really trying to express here, like really getting super curious, and it makes it almost like impossible for people to remain in that state, when they feel like you're really listening to them, they're really heard, or like you're really trying to understand them, Magda Gerber actually says, everybody just needs someone who understands, it's like one of my favorite quotes of all time, And it's so true, but I just love seeing the connections between if we were to implement the things, if you are practicing conscious parenting that we practice with our children, something as simple as just observing, not interrupting, not putting into our two cents and directing and teaching and overstepping, needing to take the wheel, like allowing our children to lead or Allowing them to just like getting to a state of flow. If we we implemented the same principles in our marriages or in our work relationships and just like the way we interact with anybody, we would all thrive. I mean, it's one of the many reasons I am so passionate about sharing the things that I share. I think it is world-changing. All that said, let's move on. Observing without evaluating. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and read some of these little sing-songy poems. I recommend after listening to this and if you haven't ordered this book, I haven't even said that in this episode, please order it. Just have it. Some people read this book without me and they think it's so boring. Uh <laughs> just disclaimer, like if you read it uh just cover to cover, some people just don't they're like, "Yeah, it's all right. Like, I get it. Like get, it makes sense." but it's not interesting to read or it's not fun. I love this book. Like I read this and I was like, I think I should read that again. There's little quizzes, like you can test yourself on some of the things. I I love it. I don't know what that says about me. I think it's just one more, re- like I'm just so passionate about all of this. It just like all clicks for me in a way that makes me feel like just, I don't know. I'm so happy <laughs> when I read it. But anyway, um, after you've ordered the book and you're reading it, and you're listening to these episodes I want you to go if you can find on YouTube Marshall Rosenberg um, videos of him talking are really so endearing at least to me I think he's such an adorable person or was such an adorable person and his little puppets and sing-songy poems that he loved and I just think he's so wonderful and like a gentle soul but anyway he you can see him in his live lectures he would have a guitar sometimes like he would sing these songs or recite these poems so I'm going to do them because I think that if you're not reading along and you don't get to read them for yourself it's not as cool I I think they're actually really amazing so here we go we're gonna read this first one and I want you to really think about what I'm saying don't think about the fact that everything rhymes okay don't get distracted (laughs) he says I can handle your telling me what I did or didn't do And I can handle your interpretations, but please don't mix the two. If you want to confuse any issue, I can tell you how to do it. Mix together what I do with how you react to it. Tell me that you're disappointed with the unfinished chores you see, but calling me irresponsible is no way to motivate me. And tell me that you're feeling hurt when I say no to your advances, but calling me a frigid man won't increase your future chances. Yes, I can handle your telling me what I did or didn't do, and I can handle your interpretations, but please don't mix the two. That poem is by Marshall Rosenberg, and he says the first component of NVC, nonviolent communication, entails the separation of observation from evaluation. We need to clearly observe what we're seeing hearing or touching that is affecting our sense of well-being without mixing in any evaluation. Observations are an important element in nonviolent communication where we wish to clearly and honestly express how we are to another person. But when we combine observation with evaluation, we decrease the likelihood that others will hear our intended message. Instead, they're apt to hear what? criticism. (laughs) And thus they'll resist whatever it is that we're actually saying. Marshall Rosenberg clarifies here that observations need to be really specific to time and context. And they go on to talk about static versus process language. And there's actually yet another song that illustrates the difference between observation and evaluation and no I'm not going to sing it or anything but I do like pointing out these distinctions so she says I've never seen a lazy man I've seen a man who never ran while I watched him and I've seen a man who sometimes slept between lunch and dinner and who'd stay at home upon a rainy day but he was not a lazy man before you call me crazy think was he a lazy man or did he just do things we label lazy? I think this is, again, such a good, like there's a reason I've got to share the poems and stuff, because how often do we do that? Like we just throw out labels, we just diagnose people, or just like, have to have our little say of our judgment what we think about them based on the behavior that we're seeing and this is super common if you're new to conscious parenting like and and even if you're not new to conscious parenting it might trickle into your daily life with your children especially if you're depleted and you're exhausted overtired and just like overstimulated you might fall back into these old thought patterns where you're like Questioning your child's character based on their behavior, as opposed to getting curious about their environment, getting curious about what's impacting the behavior, what needs and unmet needs are going on under the surface or like on the surface. All the same questions that we are asking in nonviolent communication go out the window and we just start throwing things out like, oh, they're just lazy. It's like, well, also we we need context we, we can't it's not helpful it, it doesn't make any sense it's just like so not solution-based and definitely life alienating for us to just throw things like that out there did, did they just do things that we label as lazy too like that's the other side of it like perhaps this person's doing these things and perhaps in your mind in your world this is why again I think you need to listen to the Eckhart Tolle a new earth um, episodes that I've done because this is where the ego comes in and our identifications and our little snowball of all the things that we have been surrounded by and been taught and like Okay, this is what it means to be a lazy person. This is what somebody does. I mean, it's subjective. We all have a different idea, a different concept of that judgment. Hopefully, we're moving away from even resorting to it, okay? Going nonviolent route. But even if, let's say, we did want to pass that judgment on someone, place that label, it wouldn't be the same for you as it might be for me. We might have totally different contexts. So is this person just doing things also on the flip side that we just happen to label as lazy? Like, it's just doing things. It's not the person. It's not, it's not him and his character. It's the behavior that we're maybe describing that's still subjective. He She goes on to say, and this is by Ruth Berbermeyer. Berbermeyer? Let me look at her name. Berbermeyer. Ruth Berbermeyer. Thank you, Ruth. I've never seen a stupid kid. I've seen a kid who sometimes did things I didn't understand or things in ways I hadn't planned. I've seen a kid who hadn't seen the same places where I had been, but he was not a stupid Before you call him stupid, think, was he a stupid kid or did he just know different things than you did? I've looked as hard as I can look, but never, ever seen a cook. I saw a person who combined ingredients on which we dined a person who turned on the heat and watched the stove that cooked the meat. I saw those things, but not a cook. Tell me, when you're looking, is it a cook you see, or is it someone doing things that we call cooking? What some of us call lazy. Wait, actually, you know, what? I want to go back to that. This part is really what the true big picture is with conscious living and parenting figuring out the ego and the pain body, peeling back all the performative layers that we have put on ourselves as coping mechanisms to to train ourselves. Like, we're lovable, so this is how I'm lovable. Gotta be this, gotta perform as that, gotta show up this way, gotta talk this way, look this way, walk this way. That's what makes me good enough. Um. Even still... All of it is really just a performance. Even and even when we're doing the things that we love doing, that make our soul come to life. Like I'm, I guess I'm a podcaster, <laughs> but am I, I am a person? I'm a soul recording this podcast. Do you see the difference? Is it too weird and deep? <laughs> but I think I think you might. Maybe some of you listening understand what I'm trying to get at here. Like under, under all of it, like, there's just, like, the essence of the person, their, their soul, their being, that's what we are really trying to investigate here, in conscious relationships, trying to, like, get connected to that, we're, we're not trying to connect with the image, or the identifications, and all the performative layers just peeling back those to be connected to what's left what's actually there in the being in the present moment um yeah so so sweet to think about honestly what some of us call lazy some call tired or easygoing what some of us call stupid some just call a different knowing so I've come to the conclusion: if it will save us all confusion, if we don't mix up what we can see with what is our opinion, because you may, I want to say also, I know that's only my opinion, Ruth Berbermeyer. Again, thanks so much for that, Ruth, because it's so nice to reflect on. I I like what, what how they made that distinction really clear too of what we were discussing earlier, like it's so subjective, What you might say lazy, I might be like, a super chill guy, <laughs> or like, wow, it's so present, even, it might be like a positive thing, they really know how to rest, and relax, and be in the now, like, I might, I might totally look at it as a beautiful quality, you know, <laughs> um, and even still, it's none of those things, it's like just a person being, and doing different things, it doesn't, it's not the It's not a quality of the person. Does that make sense? As Marshall Rosenberg writes here, while the effects of negative labels like lazy and stupid may be more obvious, even a more positive or an apparently neutral label such as cook limits our perception of the totality of another person's being. He goes on to say, The Indian philosopher J. Krishnamurti once remarked that observing without evaluating is the highest form of human intelligence. And Whether you agree with that or not, I want you to take a minute to really observe yourself without evaluating yourself necessarily. I just want you to observe and and think about your habits. Think about when you're on social media. This is a, a good, easy example. If you're on social media... Are you able to observe someone's content without passing judgment, criticism, comparing yourself to them, trying to create a sort of hierarchy, you are above or below them, getting into the ego and figuring out, you know, somebody's value assessing your own value on a deep subconscious level or getting offended? taking things personally, making someone's video about yourself and how it applies and pertains to you or does not apply or pertain to you, your outlook, your lifestyle, your belief system, your values. I think it's pretty hard sometimes. But I do feel like most of the people that... If you you resonate with the work that I share... I think that it's very likely that you might be a person who is getting at least working on observing and not evaluating, just taking in information objectively, feeling out like what works for you, what doesn't, what's in alignment with you, what's not. And one of the things that I've personally found so rewarding about being able to have this very hands-off approach to information being able to pick and choose very confidently like not being afraid or intimidated to like look into anything or change my mind about anything just simply again observe and not evaluate it but just observe okay what is the information let's start there but again with that very objective blank slate man, I think it's made me very confident in all the things that I do really feel like I've adopted, I suppose. You know, it's so interesting as somebody talks about like the the ego and the pain body a lot, or not necessarily, I'm not, I'm trying to always eliminate attachments and like ideologies and identifications but they're obviously things that I just feel like they really align with me and like I they're really helpful for me in my daily life and or they they just feel right like in my soul like I'm like that just feels good that is such a reassuring belief for me or like that's comforting or um gives me such wonderful like guidance the list goes on and on but one thing that I find interesting is that so many people are like scared and insecure and anxious like interpreting other information or, or anything from anybody that's not perfectly in alignment with, with, again, all the things that they associate their self-worth with, their righteousness with, what makes them good or better or good enough with like they, they get so easily threatened Whereas they could just take any new information that comes up that doesn't feel like it's in alignment with them as more reassurance and comfort that they're on the right path for themselves. Like, I really like the decisions that I'm making. (laughs) I really like what I believe in. It feels really good for me. Or like, after reading that, I feel even more certain about what it is that I adhere to, what I practice. Some people are just so like, nope i'm not I'm not reading that. I'm not gonna uh, look at that. I'm not gonna like take in that and i I'm like that to a certain degree as well when it comes to things that I just feel like will not serve me period like there's nothing good to come from it, but I think like it's such a fine line. I think sometimes if we're too if we are too stringent based on our ideologies and our belief systems like we can't even take in any information like we can't even observe without even like we start to evaluate before we even observe (laughs) I guess is what I'm getting at I think that we miss the opportunity to like be really be steadfast in the things that we do feel in alignment with like I do feel good about I think I think if anything when you have this as he puts it like that higher form of intelligence like where you you don't get into the ego But honestly, like you get that deeper sense of satisfaction and certainty around the things that really do feel good for you. When you read something that's not in alignment, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, no. Even reading that, like, just don't believe that. Or it just doesn't, doesn't feel good for me. Like I don't, doesn't, that's not my thing. But it's interesting to know what other people think or interesting to know the perspective of someone else. Huh. Didn't know that perspective existed. Interesting. I think it just helps us all be more connected to better understand our reality and the people in it. The next example of Marshall Rosenberg working in real time with a group of people really helped me understand in a deeper way this whole concept of observing without evaluating. He works with a group of teachers, like just an elementary school staff, that is really frustrated with the principal and his style of communication and when he asks them what is the principal doing that conflicts with your needs he has a big mouth was the first swift response <laughs> and he says my question called for an observation but while big mouth gave me information on how this teacher evaluated the principal, it failed to describe what the principal said or did that led to the interpretation that he had a, quote, big mouth. And when he pointed that out, a second teacher offered, I know what he means. The principal talks too much. Instead of a clear observation of the principal's behavior, this was also an evaluation Of how much the principal talked. A third teacher then declared, he thinks only he has anything worth saying. Marshall Rosenberg explains that inferring what another person is thinking is not the same as observing his behavior. Finally, a fourth teacher ventured, he wants to be the center of attention all the time. After I remarked that this too was an inference of what another person is wanting, two teachers blurted in unison, well, your question is very hard to answer. (laughs) We subsequently worked together to create a list identifying specific behaviors on the part of the principal that bothered them and made sure that the list was free of evaluation. For example, the principal told stories about his childhood and war experiences during faculty meetings, with the result that the meetings would sometimes run 20 minutes longer, and when he would ask if they had ever communicated that annoyance to the principal, the staff replied that they had tried, but only through evaluative comments. They had never made reference to specific behaviors, such as the storytelling and They agreed to bring it up when they all met together. And it's so funny that (laughs) Marshall Rosenberg describes noticing exactly what the staff is talking about, almost like as soon as the meeting actually began with the principal. No matter what was being discussed, the principal would interject, this reminds me of the time, and then launch into a story about his childhood or war experience. He waited for the staff to voice their discomfort around the principal's behavior. And instead of nonviolent communication, they applied nonverbal condemnation. Some rolled their eyes. Others yawned pointedly. One stared at his watch. And all of it just continues until Marshall Rosenberg says, isn't anyone going to say something? And there's an awkward silence, he describes, and says, The teacher who had first spoken at the meeting screwed up his courage, looked directly at the principal, and said, Ed, you have a big mouth. (laughs) So (laughs) eventually the teachers, he says, succeeded in clarifying for the principal the specific actions that led to their concern. And he's like, why didn't you tell me? He admitted that he was aware of a storytelling habit and then began telling a story pertaining to this habit. <laughs> I love this example for a lot of reasons. I, first of all, I just think it's so relatable. So many of us are just operating here. And like I said in the beginning, we really don't notice because we don't know that there's another way. We've not been shown the proper way to express our needs. I mean, even when he asks, what is it? that he's doing that conflicts with your needs. They describe that as a difficult question. It's really hard to answer. (laughs) But should that be a hard question to answer? Why isn't it cut and dry for us to be able to list a specific time, a specific example? For example, in this case scenario, why couldn't a single teacher say, I just simply want the meeting to be as long as he says it's going to be. If it's going to be a 20-minute meeting, I would like to leave after 20 minutes as opposed to listening to a 10-minute war story like I did on Tuesday. (laughs) And actually, that's one of my favorite things about reading this book and a lot of the other books that I share is the commonsensical aspect where you're like, why wouldn't that be my first response? Man, it does just make sense. Why, why can't we operate there? And, and how fun it is to figure out what actually would be the helpful, solution-based, positive way to move forward. What is the language that we can use? And that brings me to these solid examples where we can distinguish the difference of an observation and an evaluation or an observation with some evaluation mixed in. (laughs) The first one might be something like, you're too generous, as opposed to, when I see you give all your lunch money to others, I think you are being too generous. The difference there is that when we say, when you do this, I think you are being this way. At least when, it's kind of like, I'm pretty sure Brene Brown mentions in a video somewhere on the internet that her daughter's teacher at one point told her, oh, you're messy. And she said, I may be making a mess, but I am not messy. That is an important distinction. You are too generous is making a statement about your being versus, I think you are being too generous, is at least one giving a a specific example that's leading to this evaluation. And the evaluation isn't saying, you are too generous, it's saying, I think you are being something. The next one is a use of a verb with evaluative connotation, like, Doug procrastinates, versus, Doug only studies for exams the night before, using a very specific example with consistent background, right? So so often we get into a generalization trap, or that might not even be true. It might be even better to say something along the lines of, the last three exams we've had, I noticed that Doug just studied the night before. I mean, that That would be specific in an observation. It doesn't even really, it's not judging or evaluating at all. It's just a simple objective statement. The next one would be an implication that one's inferences about another person's thoughts, feelings, intentions, or desires are the only ones possible. For example, she won't get her work in. Like that's, that's just a weird indefinite statement that like, how would you know? What, what? Or this option that's better. I don't think she'll get her work in or she said, I won't get my work in. (laughs) But at least it's not, again, an inference of what's going to happen for another person or what someone's thinking or feeling, what their intentions are. The next example is confusion of a prediction with certainty. If you don't eat balanced meals, your health will be impaired. Versus, if you don't eat balanced meals, I fear your health may be impaired. At least the second one is honest, because there have got to be people in your life that you know or that you've met. Maybe it's yourself. I mean, goodness gracious, I know as a child... I didn't always eat balanced meals, had pizza rolls for heaven's sake and like whatever else. Those popsicles, I probably ate like, I don't know, four to seven of those frozen like artificially colored and flavored and sweetened popsicles that you throw in the freezer. You know, the ones that come in those like crinkly plastic, they're tubes. I have like organic (laughs) <laughs> like nice versions of them for my children now, um, but you you probably know the ones that I'm talking about, but you know, I had all those, and I mean, I don't recall ever feeling not amazing in my childhood and adolescent experience. I mean, I just my health was not impaired, Thank you, Lord, but i do you understand why I bring that up <laughs> because we can't confuse. Our predictions with certainty. The next one is failure to be specific about reference. There's the first example is immigrants don't take care of their property. which <laughs> Sounds I mean that is a violent statement. Then the example of the observation separate from the evaluation is I have not seen the immigrant family living at 1679 Ross shovel the snow on their sidewalk. Again, we're actually getting somewhere. This is specific. This is telling me what you actually have an issue with. Then we could move forward to the other aspects of nonviolent communication where we could figure out the need, the request. What can we do about this? As opposed to just, again, strange, vague generalizations that are really harmful in a lot of cases. The sixth example is using words that denote ability without indicating that an evaluation is being made. For example, Hank Smith is a poor soccer player versus Hank Smith has not scored a goal in 20 games. One is an objective fact. The other one is a blanket generalization. It's almost as if they are they're just saying this as fact this person's a poor soccer player again it's subjective that's not helpful if you want to talk about what we can do differently or what you would like to see differently in order to feel differently then be specific he hasn't scored a goal in 20 games okay that we can work with The next example is a use of adverbs and adjectives in ways that do not indicate an evaluation has been made. For example, Jim is ugly, as opposed to Jim's looks don't appeal to me. Are you starting to see the pattern? Are you starting to be able to make the distinction? You might notice yourself using, I mentioned blanket statements, generalizations, but the words always, never, whenever can express an observation without an evaluation for example i cannot recall you ever writing to me for whatever reason imagine yourself on the receiving end of this it doesn't feel abrasive or as if you are criticizing the other person but if you were to say you never write to me then the person feels the need to be defensive right i mean if you were on the receiving end Someone says you never do this, or you're always busy. Of course, we interpret this as criticism. We're not, it becomes very hard to get into nonviolent communication mode if someone, especially, hasn't even they're not exposed to this concept and, and starts asking questions. Okay, hmm, I know that they just said I never write to them, but they're just feeling like they need more connection from me or they're just feeling tapped out or they're exhausted right now or like it's hard to get in that curiosity mode because you're feeling attacked it's not helpful that's that's again i just keep repeating that but we're trying to move towards solution-based conversation how can we get people's needs met how can we have mutual needs met and mutual consideration for our needs. Some more clear examples are, you seldom do what I want, versus the actual observation. The last three times I initiated an activity, you said you didn't want to do them. Being specific, um, you might refer to this as pulling out your receipts, You might not know what I'm even talking about. But sometimes I say that to my own people in my life. I'm like, I've got the receipts. I know. I remember every conversation. I remember everything ever said. (laughs) Am I petty? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe I'm just a person who's being petty. Okay, moving on. I'm tired. You know, sometimes I record these podcast episodes when my entire family is asleep. So if I ever sound like maybe a sleepy person, or I sound like I'm getting a little loopy, it's because I probably am. So let's wrap this episode up, shall we? Uh, He frequently comes over versus he comes over at least three times a week. That's a fact. That's an objectively clear statement. And it's very hard to get offended by a these things. It's very hard to get into your ego and get defensive. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Not hard, especially when people have been conditioned to interpret everything as criticism and to take everything personally, but I do think it's much less likely that that's the case when we are specific, when we don't mix the two, when we stick to an objective observation and leave out our evaluation So that's really it for this concept. I want to stick to that. I don't want to move on to the next chapter until next week. I want you to think about this and observe yourself in an objectively clear way this week and notice, are you resorting to some of these habits? Are you combining evaluation and observation or are you keeping it simple? Just observing. Not mixing in any sort of judgment, shame, criticism, evaluation of any kind. Here are a few examples, and then I'll close out the episode. So I want to give you the quiz that I was talking about. John was angry with me yesterday for no reason. Would we say that this is an observation only with no evaluation mixed in? Well, if you remember from earlier... This is an inference, like, he's angry for no reason. We can't infer what's going on in the mind of someone else. We can't pretend to know what's going on in their mind, what they want, or why they do what they do. That is not helpful. I think it's also helpful when taking this little quiz, like, hmm, how would somebody respond to this? Would they be able to hear the need or the unmet need that I'm trying to express? Would they be able to understand the request that I'm making? Am I making a specific request? or, Or would they be apt to interpret what I'm saying as criticism? John was angry with me yesterday for no reason. Definitely lend someone to get defensive. For no reason? Gosh, Becky, you just don't even understand me, right? Like, I could see it just going downhill fast. Number two, yesterday evening, Nancy bit her fingernails while watching television. This is just an objective, clear statement of something that happened. That's just an observation. There's no judgment. He's not saying that Nancy is disgusting, she's filthy, that she's inconsiderate. Because you had to vacuum. None of that. It's like she bit her fingernails while watching TV. Okay, good to know. Next one. Sam didn't ask for my opinion during the meeting. That's just an and objective why I can see and I know people that might be defensive about just about everything, even in an objectively true statement, a very clear observation without any evaluation mixed in. I think it's less likely. It's harder to imagine someone uh, having a sort of defensive response and interpreting something like Sam didn't ask for my opinion during the meeting as criticism. And again, I, I think all of us know people that might take it there, but it's at least a good start. My father is a good man. It's an evaluation. Henry is aggressive. It's also an evaluation. If We can't just say because somebody was a, maybe uh, playing rough one day at the park with their friend. We don't just make generalizations, big blanket statements, label a person forever because of like one specific incident and how we interpreted it. Just like Ruth Berbermeyer's poem, you might say aggressive, but I might say... uh, getting out like blowing off steam or like they've been cooped up all day how good Uh, amazing (laughs) they're playing like some rough and tumble play using their body you might even say like athletic strong whatever it might be just to prove the point yet again that it's completely subjective and unhelpful pam was first in line every day this week this is an observation Luke told me I didn't look good in yellow. Observation, no evaluation mixed in. The last one, my aunt complains when I talk with her. This sounds like it might be observation free of evaluation, but it's not specific. Does your aunt complain every time? Did she complain last Tuesday? Every single time you've ever spoken? This sounds like an exaggeration and a generalization. My aunt called me three times this week and each time talked about people who treated her in ways she didn't like. That's specific. That is an observation. And this is a fun example to finish on because it's an evaluation mixed into an observation in a couple of ways. First being that it's a general statement that when I talk with her, meaning every time you've ever spoken, she's complained That's a general blanket statement. We need it to be specific. The last three times we've spoken on Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday, this happened. But the second part that's an evaluation mixed in is the statement complains. Dr. Marshall Rosenberg says, I consider complains to be an evaluation. And that's hard too. I think about that and I'm like, oh my gosh, I probably make mix in an evaluation all the time because I wouldn't even think of that, that complains is subjective. In the more specific observation example, he writes, my aunt called me three times this week and each time talked about people who treated her in ways she didn't like. That's, that's specifically describing what she talked about without... Judgment thrown in? She's complaining? Or is she just talking about this particular circumstance? So fascinating. And it's so fun to get better and better at identifying the difference, making that distinction, and saying, okay, what is it that I'm actually observing <laughs> to yourself? And really get good at being super specific and objective and clear. And that's it for chapter three of this mini book club series on nonviolent communication by Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. I hope that this is helpful and that you can move forward this week until the next time where we review chapter four and actually start to observe yourself. Objectively, of course, don't evaluate yourself, judge yourself and shame yourself. Simply notice, hmm, like how often does this come up for you? How often would you like to switch up your language? How often would you say you need to communicate in a way that is nonviolent? How often are you using violent communication without even realizing it and noticing the difference that it makes to adjust? And I'd also love for you to start to observe the difference that it makes when it comes to all of your different relationship dynamics. Notice how people are responding differently. Or just in general, how are they responding to this style of communication? Is it easier or more challenging for them to get into their fight, flight, fawn, or freeze? Taking things personally, getting defensive. And you as well, again, as we start to get better and better at listening ourselves for what it is the person's actually trying to request. What is it that they actually need? What are they looking for? from you as always thanks so much for spending this time with me and doing this work with your children especially but also yourselves in your daily lives i think that it's life-changing on an individual level but world-changing when we do it together and i couldn't do it without all of you so thank you again if you're looking for a little bit of a deeper dive into the conscious parenting philosophy and practice check out my online course at www.themellowmama.org along with some of my other amazing digital products. My new Mellow Moments are out and I am so excited that all of you are loving them, purchasing them, and I just can't say enough how much I appreciate you, your support, and this growing community Mellow Moments, if you haven't listened to them, are a simple way to kind of have me in your pocket at any time, not just in a podcast or YouTube format, but in a really tactical, hands-on approach to dealing with your own emotional state. So if you need to regulate your emotions and you're like, man, I wish I had somebody here with me, a friend, to just like bring me back to a centered, grounded state where I'm not about to lose it on my kids or respond or react in a way that is totally out of alignment with me and my values and my general character and the goodness in my soul, this is for you. I have all sorts of different options. There are eight and I have a few more on the way this month. They are a perfect thing to add into your daily routine if you are feeling like, wow, I am in a rut, I am swamped, or man, I really just need the practice, the general practice of doing something else when I'm feeling dysregulated. You might know, okay, I know what not to do, but then to replace it with what to do can be really tricky, especially as you're rewriting old patterns and conditioned thought programming. Mellow Moments are a perfect way to do that, again, www.themellowmama.org, they're $10 a piece, you can kind of collect them month by month, like a little personalized subscription, or you can get multiple at the same time. Some of my favorites are Talk Through a Tantrum. 478 breathing and midday affirmations are so underrated people are really loving eft tapping and i will be releasing soon a morning priming uh, practice which i think is going to be a new favorite for so many of you and honestly myself included because it's what i use in the morning on my very best days thank you again for listening check out everything that i have to offer follow me on social media at the mellow mama pretty much everywhere youtube tiktok instagram and i will see you on the next episode